As you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, as we have been studying about Christ and Christ in our life, what that looks like, what that means. Colossians is very much interested in you knowing the power of God at work, the resurrection power in your life. What does that look like? It's not walking on water. It is, as Paul says in Colossians 1, to be patient and to persevere. And in Colossians chapter 2, he talks about the ways that we can get distracted from Christ and the, the false sources of life, even good things like discipline and religion and uh, powerful experiences. These are the basis of our faith and we go astray. We must have Christ in all of these. And so it takes us to Colossians chapter 3, where he's introducing this idea of what does it mean to seek after Christ and, and Christ at work in us and his life at work. What does that look like? He starts off by saying, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, see Christ, seek where he's at, seek what he's like. And then he says, set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. And so what does it mean to set your mind on that? And, and, and meanwhile, we've got to live life. We've got we to gotta go to work. We've got to uh, wash dishes. We've got to make meals. And, and we've got to drive here and there. And, and how do we seek Christ? How do we set those things above? How does that work? And then he says in verse 3, he says that we have died with Christ, our, our life is now hidden with Christ and God. What does that mean? I've died. And then he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears. What does that mean? When Christ is your life. He says, when he appears, you shall appear with him in glory. And I think, well, that sounds good. Uh, but what about between now and then? Uh, and so... We talked about what that looks like, uh, to have Christ at work in our life and, and to, to die to ourselves, to depend on Christ at work. And, and we found in verses 5 that there is first this execution that we have to do. We have to kill certain things in our life. We have to understand that there are parts of us that is deadly, that isn't just distasteful, that isn't just a weird quirk of personality, or maybe it's just that I'm Scottish and I have a quick anger. You know, it, it's, it's much more to it than that. And there are certain things that have to die. I remember uh, when it, it was a, a very marked impact when we had kids. And one of the things that have never quite recovered is the cleanliness of our cars. Uh, I remember it was a weekly task. I would wash the car. And I would wash the car every week and I would clean out the inside of the car and then children came. And it, it, to this day, is a source of frustration for me. Uh, and, and I remember when, very, very vividly, at one point, I, I thought, you know, what, this car just smells. Why does this car smell so bad? And, you know, and you armor all, and you do all this stuff, and you're like, oh, that still stinks. And you have to have your windows down. And then, you know, you, you, you really, the point of surrender is when you buy one of those Things you put on your wind, on your yeah, what do you call those little ref yeah deodorizer? That's the point of surrender. Like, I give up. Let's put this up there. 
But then it doesn't work still. I think, well, what is that smell? And I remember the first time I ever discovered spoiled milk underneath the, the seat. And I was like, oh, you're just gagging while you're trying to clean out the car. I was like, oh, no wonder this stinks, you know. And there's a, there's a, there's within our own life, our own personality, our natural tendencies is that of just spilled, rotten milk. There is death in us there's decay in us and so it doesn't do any good just to say i'm going to deodorize this i'm going to just make it look good and and put a lot of good things in our life to kind of cover up for the bad in our life there's still death within our life and and so the very first part verses 5 through 11 paul is saying you got to put to death some things in your life just understand what it is it's rotten don't try to dress it up just say this needs to die and then there's the he says you put to death and there's the putting off. And he, verses 5 is a list of several things, uh, 5 through 11, of things to put off. And, and so when we see these things uh, found in our life, verses 5 through 11, things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, these things that he's mentioning, lying to one another, this is indication that there's something dead in you. There's something rotten within your heart, within your soul. And when you're honest, every single one of us have that. And so, he says, verse 11, but the good news is that Christ is all and in all. And so he says, let's talk about that. How can we have Christ in our life? And so that begins uh, verses 12 all the way through, uh, but especially 12 through 17. What does it look like to have Christ in our life? And first of all, we, we saw in, in verse 12 that we got to see ourselves as God sees ourselves, that we are chosen, we're set apart, we're, we're holy unto him. And so there's value in seeing ourselves as God sees us. And then uh, uh, showing others Christ. Showing others Christ. To say, you know, not only is there death in me, to the grace of God, there is also within my heart rivers of living water that can be put into my life. It's called Christ. He is now in my life. Colossians 2, 7 says, Christ is in you. This is the hope of glory. You believe that by faith. It is an amazing thing. But when you are admitting you're bankrupt before God, and you go to Christ to solve it, I'm, I'm messed up, Christ. I'm, I'm free. I've got sin. And you go to him, say, God, forgive me. Not only does he forgive you, he brings to you the Holy Spirit. And, and as Jesus said, uh, talking to the Samaritan woman, that there would be out of you rivers of living water. He said this and also in John chapter 7, not only in John 4, but in John 7, verse 37. This is a promise that he's given to us. And so what does this look like to have the rivers of living water? He says, this is how you know it. He says, uh, verse 12, what does Christ look like? He's holy, or he's, he's, he's kind, he's humble, he has compassionate hearts, he is meek, he's patient, he bears with one another, and if someone has a complaint against another, he forgives. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love. And so when we have Christ in us, what does that look like? It looks like these virtues. And so that's how we know that Christ is at work. And then we keep on and we see above all these put on love. And he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So we submit to the peace of Christ. There is an understanding that I want God's peace among his body. This is a passage written to the church. Uh, 
when he talks about forgiving one another, he is talking specifically about believers who are in church together, who wrong one another, who have a complaint against one another. It happens in church. And so we forgive one another. We bear with one another as Christ has done. And so the, the thing that we understand is that we will never have to forgive someone more than Christ has already forgiven us. Hold on to that. And then he, we keep on, we submit to this peace of Christ, and then we soak up God's word thankfully. We let the word of Christ dwell in us. All right? We see that in verse uh, 16. And this is part of the Holy Spirit, is his word, the word of God. You know what the Ephesians 6 calls the word of God? He calls it the sword of the Spirit. All right? You want the Holy Spirit speaking to your life? It will be your desire... Is going to be measured by how much you memorize God's word. Your desire to have the spirit of God speak into your life can be measured by your desire to memorize the word of God. Because the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And it's what the Holy Spirit will use to work in your life. And so we're going to use this teaching one another, monitoring one another with all wisdom. And then we're, we're singing Songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then verse 17, he says, uh, whatever you do, and word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we learned that we see all of life as a spiritual act, thankfully. And so then Paul says, all right, that's a lot. Let me break it down for you even more. And so we learned last week, as we looked at this passage, the, the various roles of authority that's within life. And he starts in his structure, he first starts with the one who is having to listen, or having to submit, or having to obey, and, and whatever role. And so in verse 17, he says, alright, well, what does it look like, if you're a wife, what does it look like to have Christ in your life, if you're a wife? And he shows us a picture of that in verse uh, 18. Alright, husbands, verse 19, what does it look like for Christ to be in your life if you're a husband? And that's as far as we got, <laughs> Verse 18 and 19 last week. Um, and then he goes on to the children, to the fathers. And then in verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about slaves and masters. And so, Lord willing, that's what we'll do. We'll talk about that uh, this morning. So, understand that as we talk about this, the solution always is Christ. Not, okay, I got to love more. I got I to gotta, uh, obey more. I got to be more patient. That's not the answer. The answer is always go back to Christ. Okay? Get out the rotten milk and make sure that Christ is there in your life. So, uh, as we see all of life as a spiritual act, as we're setting our minds on things above, if you're a, ch- a child, verse 20, what does this look like for Christ to be in your life? And it's very, very simple. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I want to just bring out one thing here, verse 20. When Paul's writing this, he's writing as a letter to a church in Colossians. What is Paul implying by simply addressing children? He is acknowledging, okay, when you guys gather together and read this letter, I know that there will be children with you. He is saying, children, you're there with the church, and let me just speak to you for a second. We, 
In our, in our culture of Christianity in America, we always want to say, you know what, the children are such a bother. They, you know, I have to, I'm distracted by them. I have to, I have to, you know, I have to make sure they're listening. Let's put them in some other room. I just want to bring out that there are things that children can learn, not just by me talking at this point, but children are learning by every single one of you as they're sitting there in your midst. As there's children right here, they are being surrounded by teachers. And they look to you to see what do you do when you hear the word of God? What do you do when you sing? Do you sing? <laughs> what are you teaching the children around you? Okay? I just want to bring that out. That's not really the point, but it's an applied uh, understanding here. He says, I'm going to write this to you in this church, and I know that the children are there, so let me children... Obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, the word for obey, I, I think it's important for us to understand that it's different from the word submit. Uh, that, that is given for wives. Uh, the difference here in the word obey, it has the word hear. The primary um, root of the word for obey in the Greek has the word hear. Listen. And then under. In other words, you're going to listen with the view that you're under this direction. Um, now, how many of you know that the first challenge for children is listening? You can say their name over and over and over. And it just, that's the challenge is, is listening. Now, I think this is really important for us to understand something. What is the answer to this? The answer to children being disobedient is not necessarily parents make sure you buckle down and that they understand authority. It is a spiritual problem. And the solution is a spiritual solution. It is to say, you know what? There is disobedience in the heart. This is not a problem just between them and the parents. This is a problem between them and the Lord. So the solution is, God, do a work in the children's hearts, which is pray. Pray. Too many times, isn't it true for us parents that we want to fix them? Because they're our kids. And it's one thing when they're babies to fix them. It's pretty simple. Give them a, some milk. Put them to bed. Change the diaper. That's pretty much it. Unless there's something worse. And then we take that same mentality and say, okay, I'm going to do that all along the way. Now I've just got different options, but it's my job to fix them. I would present to you that it's still the Lord's job to fix them. God may use you. God may use you. And he has set apart you specifically as discipler. But it's still of the Lord. So that means our primary strength is God do a work in their life. It goes back to prayer. It is so easy for us as parents to go to screaming as the primary solution. Let's replace that with prayer. As much as we have God's grace to give us that. Let's do that. But children... You need to understand that when there is disobedience in your heart, the solution is confession and repentance. Because the problem is ultimately between you and God. 
is one of the the Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus comes into our life, remember Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law in our life. And so Jesus now comes into our life and gives us a different heart, a different desire to say, you know what, I want to do what I want to do, but before all that, I want Christ to rule in my life. I want to honor Him. He changes your heart to do what God wants you to do. I will never forget the first time I ever apologized to my parents. Never dawned on me that that should be something I should do. Because they weren't humans. <laughs> True? You know that. When, was, when did you start regarding your parents as humans? But I was in college. When it first dawned on me, I'd been acting like a jerk to my parents. And I asked them to forgive me. It was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> I had not done it before. <laughs> But evidently, they were well-practiced at forgiving me. And they simply said, oh, we had already forgiven you before. Oh, okay. (laughs) But it was this change in my heart. And it was the work of God in my life. It wasn't because mom and dad were great parents or they were terrible parents. It was just simply God's work in my life. And, and children understand every one of your parents, doesn't matter who parent you have, they will mess you up. They will mess you up. Why? Because they're not Jesus. We were watching um, Saving Mr. Banks movie. It was about... Uh, the creation of Mary Poppins. I had no idea that Mary Poppins was about the dad. Did you know that? Mary Poppins was about the, the dad in the story, Mr. Banks. Because the author was writing this story out of her own emotional pain with the failings of her dad. And I thought, wow. This whole thing is about a dad getting redeemed. Mary Poppins coming in, saving the day. And the dad sees the light. And we all kind of were just related to this movie and to the story because we all have had dads that have messed us up. And we all have had moms that have messed us up. Dads and moms point to Christ. That's the best they can do. They're shadows. So dad and mom... Don't let your children settle for shadows. Point them to Christ. Children, understand that when you disobey the shadow, you are disobeying Christ. And so, he says, when you obey your parents in everything, this pleases the Lord. It's important to put these two phrases together. Obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. First of all, you would say, well, what happens when my parents want me to do something against God? But you don't obey them. Because they are just shadows that point to Christ. And so the goal is to please the Lord. And so that's why even if you have an unbelieving parent and you may go against what they say, but you're pleasing the Lord, you're actually still honoring your parents. Because whether that father and mother knows it or not, they are meant to be a shadow to God. And when you obey God, you are still honoring them. And they just don't know it because they don't give the authority to God in their own life. But you're still honoring their father and mother by honoring the purpose for which the father and mother was given to you, and that is to point to God. You understand what I'm saying in that? 
That's what, that's how it is that if you have a father and mother that doesn't honor God, there is still, you can obey God and it still honors them. Even though it's going against the direct obedient command of a father and mother that is apart from God. And so we are to, to obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So first of all, there is this guiding phrase, what pleases the Lord. And second, when they are not contrary to the word of God, then it is as Jesus is speaking to you. Parents, I understand that. When God speaks to you, it's not contrary to the word of God. When you, when you are giving direction to your child, if that child is in, is in Christ, they will hear that as God's word to them. So what does that tell us? It tells us two things. One, we better be careful what we tell our children. If they're taking it as the word of the Lord. It puts a governor on us. Second. Especially for younger children. If that young child is disobedient. You as a follower of God are obligated to correct that child. Because they've disobeyed the voice of God. What does that mean? It means if I tell a child, go to bed, do not get up again. And the child gets up again. I may not feel like it. I may be tired. I may not be irritated enough yet. I don't operate out of my irritation. I'm to operate out of, they disobeyed the voice of the Lord. I want to teach them to honor the Lord. It's not about me. So I'm tired, or they're so sweet, it doesn't matter. When you are speaking and the voice of the Lord is speaking through you, one, it, it checks you, make sure you don't give frivolous commands. Two, make sure they understand by consequence. You're not acting out of anger. But understand also that with that correcting, that the solution is not the correction. The solution is the word of God speaking to that child's heart. And you pray, God, give this child a wise heart. Help them to understand the consequences of this. May they gain wisdom in this. God change their heart and that their heart change is not whether or not you corrected them but whether or not God speaks to their heart through it. You understand that? Christ and parents. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I've found that my challenge in this is I will parent typically the same way that was parented to me. That's my default. And I already shared with you that we're all messed up by our parents. It's hard to evaluate what is good handed to us by our parents and what is bad, what is of Christ and what is of ourselves. Fathers, do not provoke your children, embitter them, even nagging them, overcorrect or harass. 
And I have to share that, that with this, I must also confess, I am not perfect in this. I don't speak to you from a, a place of my experience as the basis of the authority, but I'm speaking to you from what the Word of God says, and the Word of God is speaking to my own heart. I hated having my parents nag me, telling me the same thing over and over and over again. And right as I was about to do it, they tell me right before it. But you know what I do? The very thing that I hate my parents doing. That's my default, my tendency. I want to know some satisfaction of, did you hear me? And so I keep on saying it. There is that that's within my own heart. Lest they become discouraged. Now you understand, first of all, for your mothers out there, you're thinking, oh, well, I'm glad he's talking to the fathers. No, this is in regards to parental authority. He's using and speaking to the father, representing the leadership of the home. But this applies to parental authority. Single mothers, it speaks to you as well. This is something we have to pay attention to. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I found as a general pattern, we tend to be extremely or maybe overly harsh on the firstborn. Because they're the first ones and we're insecure as parents. And so we'll get it all out. In times the second one, third one comes, fourth one, we're so tired and worn out. Like, alright, just don't die. So when the firstborns, they have totally different parents. Compared to the secondborn, a thirdborn, fourthborn, or more. They're totally different parents. I mean, we got the same name, but we don't act at all the same as we do. <laughs> no, you don't have to amen. <laughs> but yeah, but that is true, isn't it? And so we have to be careful, especially with the firstborn. And sometimes we overcorrect to the point where they get so discouraged, they just say, you know, forget it all. This is true across the board. What are ways we can exasperate our children? When it says, lest they become discouraged, they become listless. They're, they have a sullen resignation. They have a broken spirit. They say to themselves, I'll never get it right. All they do is criticize. Here, here's the line that really convicted me. I need to be sure that the children are as sure of my love as they are of my authority. That one convicted me. So what are ways we can exasperate our children? Overprotection, never allowing them any liberty, strict rules about everything. Showing favoritism, sometimes unwittingly. Depreciating their worth. Many may feel that they are not important. We don't listen to them. By setting unrealistic goals and never rewarding them. Nothing is enough, so they never get full approval. Are you trying to make them into a person they're not? By failing to show affection verbally and physically. By not providing for their legitimate needs. By lack of standards, the opposite of protection. By destructive criticism. 
by neglect. You see this in example in David. He seemed to be indifferent to Absalom. And he totally failed in his discipline in Adonijah. And Absalom resented that. You see this in, in good godly people. But yet, in this area of parenting, Christ isn't shining. Sometimes excessive discipline. This is why we don't discipline in anger. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I don't think my dad totally believed that. (laughs) But sometimes I don't believe that. I think, man, if I just let him have it enough, it will solve the problem. Prayer, God's working, yes, it may be done through you. This is how it's going to happen. God's going to do it. John Newton, you know, the the one who wrote Amazing Grace, he made a statement, a very poignant statement. He said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. That's a powerful indictment. And it's hard. Parenting is hard because it pushes us for nothing less but to die to yourself. Nothing less than dying to yourself. The solution here isn't, okay, Jared, I'm going to be a good parent. I'm not going to spank out of anger. I'm not going to, I'm going to stop yelling. Our children, okay, I'm going to obey. That's not the solution. The solution is Christ. You surrender your heart, your life, your goal, your children, your parents to Christ. You have problems with your parents? Surrender them to Christ. Children, sometimes if you don't surrender to Christ, you will let them morph you. Let them change you. What they do and do not do will set the mood for everything. I would say to your children, set your mind on things above. Where Christ is seated. Where he rules. When you live with a parent 24-7, how on earth can you seek those things above? You surrender your parents to Christ. Christ, take them. I can't do anything with them. You do something with them. And I'm just going to trust you, Christ, that you're going to change them. Parents, how do you set your minds on things above when you wake up in the morning and the children are right there in your face, not giving you one moment? You give that child to Christ. All right, Lord, I can't even sleep without them. They're there. I surrender them to Lord. Do not ever, ever tell yourself, they make me so mad. Because they don't. You do. You make yourself mad. It is 
what's dead in us. They just give the right circumstances for you to see yourself. And the problem is that we never had opportunities to see ourselves till we had kids. Till we had parents. And sometimes you may tell yourself, I cannot wait till I leave home. I will not have to deal with people telling me what to do. <laughs> you are living a fantasy. You have to figure out who's going to tell you what to do. Is it going to be Christ? Or is it going to be the 10,000 people in your life? If you surrender the 10,000 people in your life, it'll leave just Christ. Well, I didn't get to 22. 23. 24. 4 verse 1. But I want to just reiterate to you. I'm not speaking to you as someone who's got this figured out. My kids will be the first one to tell you. All right, Dad. Let me tell you where you're wrong. I admit that. Perhaps what's needed for some of us is to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Do it to your children. Perhaps children do it to your parents. I I can't forget what Malachi says what Christ would do. He would turn the hearts of his father, of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. Christ still does that. Where's your heart? What's revealed? Let's pray.